Well, I'd like to start by just uh, placing the context of, uh, of this scripture. Uh, as is often quoted, if you take the text out of the context, you are left with a con. And so we don't want to be conned. We want to know the full truth of how this thing has been placed providentially by God. It is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus and his disciples have just left the upper room. But while they had been there in the upper room, Jesus had told them two things that were like bombshells going off right in front of their faces. And the first one was that one of the 12 disciples, one of that inner ring, was about to betray Jesus. And the disciples had no idea. They had not seen this coming at all. Each in turn asked, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And John 13, 28 tells us that when, Jesus, that when Judas left the scene, when Jesus told him to go and do what he was going to do quickly, it raised no suspicion at all. No one suspected that it was going to be Judas. The idea that one of them could betray Jesus was beyond their comprehension. And what did this now mean for their future? Well, the second bombshell was that Jesus again tells them that he's about to leave them and that where he was going, they could not follow. And the disciples, once again, did not understand. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. And now they were being told that they could not follow him. It was devastating news that they struggled to accept, especially Peter. How were they to cope with such news? And how do we cope when it feels like the rug has been pulled out from under our feet and we've been knocked on our back? How are we to make sense of trouble in the Christian life? Doesn't God protect us? from trouble. How are we supposed to live the Christian life in a world where trouble can suddenly leap out and stab you in the back? Is God in control or is life full of random and unexpected shocks? Well, in our passage today in John 15, Jesus, of course, encourages his disciples. He understands that they're distressed, but it's also an encouragement to us as disciples with some real practical tips about how to live the Christian life, how to cope with trouble. And he does this by giving understanding about what is actually going on in life and revealing who is performing what role in the whole dynamic. In the 11 verses of our scripture today, the word abide appears 10 times. It is clearly a main theme of the passage. Abide means to persist, to endure, to remain, to dwell, to comply, to hold on, to last. And I will use the word abide, A-B-I-D-E, to head the five points that we're going to look at today. And these five points will explain why we need to abide with Jesus 
as well as pointing us to the practical guide for living the Christian life. So, let us begin appropriately with the letter A, which as well as being the first letter of the word abide, today it also stands for the word authentic. Authentic, of course, means the genuine, the true, the real, original. And our passage here begins by identifying who the main players are in the Christian life. And verse 1 declares that Jesus is the true, the authentic vine. Jesus is the vine from which all disciples have sprung. He's the source of life and sustenance. And we recognize him not just as our saviour, but also as God himself, God incarnate, God in the flesh, who came and walked amongst his people. He reminds us of this truth right at the beginning by saying, I am the vine. And the significance of this is made clear when we go way, way, way back to Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, when Moses first meets God. And let me tell you what happens. So from verse 13 of Exodus 3, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And in case you think I'm reading too much into this, in John's Gospel, Jesus does this seven times. He says, I am the bread of life in John 6.35. I am the light of the world in 8.12. I am the door for the sheep in 10.7. I am the good shepherd in 10.11 and 14. I am the resurrection and the life in 11.25. I am the way, the truth and the life in 14.6. And finally here in 15.1, I am the true vine. Jesus also made it clear as crystal in John chapter 8, 56 to 58, when he told the Jews as they were having an argument about who he was, Jesus said to them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So yes, truly, truly, Jesus is authentically God. Now, if Jesus is the true and authentic vine, that implies that there are false vines to be wary of. There are false prophets. There are false Christs that seek to mislead many. And that is why we are encouraged to keep his word, the authentic word of God, to know it and to be obedient to it. 
And this is highlighted in verses 7 and 10. You can see in verse 7 he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And in verse 10 it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So being knowledgeable and obedient in the word of God is a key way for us to abide, to remain true in Jesus. So you being here and listening is a very wise thing to do. Uh, I often think that one of the best things, that as we struggle in our Christian life sometimes, we don't feel like we're doing very well, but one thing we can do is continually present ourselves. We continually be faithful to come along to meetings like this and with other believers and we seek encouragement and expose ourselves to the truth. Be hungry for the word of God every day. Let it orientate your thinking and help you recognize the authentic from the false. Now Jesus is clearly central, of course, but note that he is not alone. God the Father is actually overseeing all. He is the owner of the vineyard as well as the planter of the vine and the active vine dresser, as verse 2 makes plain. So even though Jesus is going away from his disciples, they can take heart that the Father remains in control and continues to work his vineyard and to take care of it. He clearly is authentically God. So you can trust him to be a good steward of his vineyard and everything in it. So here's the point. The authentic is trustworthy. The true and living God is the one who you want to abide with. Now, speaking of the word abide, let's move on now to the second letter. Appropriately enough, again, it's the letter B, which today stands for branches. Trees have them, even governments have them, and of course, so do grapevines. They are offshoots from their main trunk or vine stem, and in our case, the branches are disciples attached to the vine of Jesus. And this is made plain in verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, there are two types of branches, and they're described in verse 2 there. They are fruitless branches, and they are fruit-bearing branches, those two types. So, being a fruitless branch... It's like being a false branch, a false disciple, like Judas was, who eventually got exposed as one who was fruitless. So we shouldn't be surprised when there are some people who call themselves Christians or even fellow churchgoers who turn out to be insincere and can actually even be wolves in sheep's clothing. They do exist and they can be attached for a while 
but they do not have staying power. They do not abide. They do not stay connected and committed. They are fruitless in that they don't produce good fruit. Fruit that they do produce is bad. And that's why we are told elsewhere in Scripture that you shall know them by their fruit. Such as in Luke 6, 43, 45, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So false branches, unbelieving and unrepentant disciples, get removed and ultimately burned. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But the fruit-bearing branches, they're treated differently. Unlike the false disciples, these disciples believe and have repented. They produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And they are not subject to the fire of judgment because they have been truly saved and they are clean because they have believed the word of Jesus. See that in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The key to their fruitfulness is to abide in Jesus, to remain close and connected, knowing as they do so that Jesus himself remains close and connected to them. They have favour with God. They become effective in their lives because they now pray and live in alignment with the cause of the kingdom. And that's why it says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Their prayers are effective. They have staying power and persistence in spite of troubles because they know something about why it is important to go through the painful trials of life. They know they are being pruned, that certain fleshy parts of their life that have hung on need to be cut off. And that is why we now move on to our third letter in abide, the I, which stands for incisions. Like a surgeon making those careful, skillful cuts in order to remove diseased organs the father also prunes his branches. As it says in verse 2, Every branch in me does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. It is necessary. It is deliberate. And it is at the father's initiative with the aim to produce even more fruit. Pruning is a constant reality of the Christian life. Any Christian who expects to avoid all pain and suffering is living in a delusion 
and is going to be faced with much disappointment because it is a vital part of sanctification, of us being changed from being able to produce more abundant, godly fruit. So what does pruning look like? Well, let me tell you what it has meant for me in my journey. It may well involve giving up things that you are attached too much to. It may well involve you losing control of certain securities. It may involve living more simply and changing your priorities and taking on responsibilities that perhaps you would rather avoid. It may involve uprooting from one place and going to another where you really don't want to go. It may involve ending relationships that are not healthy for either you or them. It may involve giving up your rights and letting go of your reputation. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11 likens it to discipline. Let me read this for you. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. But what does the fruit look like? What is the fruit that God is looking for? I used to think that fruit was about me winning many converts or having a big ministry, but that's completely wrong. The scripture we just read mentions holiness and righteousness. Galatians 5, 23 lists the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Romans 5, 1 to 6 declares, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, he says, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope perhaps the fruit can best be described as christ likeness for he himself had to go through trials and tribulations so it should not be surprising that his true disciples should expect to have to do the same and in doing so we are pruned 
to progressively become more and more like Jesus, humble and kind in heart, yet strong and courageous and ever faithful. This makes sense because it is in him that we abide. So let us move now to our fourth letter, the letter D, which you can probably guess stands for dependence. Because the key is to abide, to remain, to persevere, to trust and hope and to depend and rely on Jesus alone, his word, his power, his love. We are to stand firm and not compromise and continue to be obedient and loyal disciples, but not in our own strengths. I remember as a young Christian living in Australia, yes, that's where the accent is from, I remember being invited to a Christian conference which was eight hours drive away, but I had to work a six-hour shift the night before, and I decided to drive there after work, being confident that I could do it without sleeping so I could be there for the start of the conference. Well, you can probably guess that I fell asleep whilst I was driving, and I woke up with the car swerving on this uh, busy motorway which many trucks use between Sydney and Melbourne. It was the main route between the two big cities. And uh, I overcorrected and I lost control and I got into a spin and I completely lost any sense of uh, control or direction. And in desperation, I just let go of the steering wheel. And being a front-wheel drive vehicle, the car actually straightened up. And I came to a stop in the middle of the nature strip between the two lanes of traffic. And I realised that I'd survived an accident that could have been, perhaps should have been, fatal. And then a thought came to me that if I persisted in trying to do things in my own strength, independent of God, not seeking his counsel, it was eventually going to kill me. Now, I don't know if that was God speaking to me then and there, but it certainly was the truth. And it alludes to that here in this passage. We all have to learn to let go of the wheel and depend on God. He's our hope. His promises are the ones on which we depend. His strength is what sustains us. As Paul says, when I'm weak and I'm strong. You see, the type of fruit that the Father seeks cannot be produced by ourselves on our own. We just can't do it. We don't have what it takes. Our natural roots are wild and diseased. They stem back to Adam in the garden who was expelled from there for the very reason that both him and his seed was corrupted. So what is needed then to remedy the situation is to be grafted into the incorruptible, the pure, the authentic and true vine which we now know is only Jesus himself. Look again at verses 4 to 6 in our passage. 
Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I once heard someone strongly object to this and they said it was obvious that they could do some things and some of them quite well, thank you very much, and that many people recognised them for their achievements and they applauded them for it. But all of these things, of course, are easily forgotten. They don't last. Jesus is talking about things that last, that have eternal significance. And this is what the last letter in abide, the letter E, stands for. Enduring and eternal rewards. The fruit produced, the godly fruit, is enduring and of eternal value. It results in favour with God and ultimately in eternal life itself. The good fruit produced is an indicator that the, the disciple is a true disciple. And that's mentioned in verse 8 there. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified through this continual growth and it gives proof that this disciple has the promised seal of eternal life upon them. And this gives the believer the wonderful reassurance that they are truly saved and that they don't need to live in fear. This is in stark contrast to what is described in verse 6, where the terminal and destructive end of the one who does not abide in Jesus, who is not truly united with Christ, is depicted. Jesus calls his disciples to abide in his love there in verse 9. He makes a clear link between obedience and experiencing the love of God. And any parent knows that when a child is disobedient, I'm sure this isn't the case with your children, of course, but if a child is disobedient, they may miss out on experiencing some of the benefits of love. But listen to this saying, our obedience does not make us God's children. But when obedience is present and developing, it indicates that we are God's children indeed. Our pursuit with and in him is to be more consistent and persevering rather than intermittent and occasional. This is not legalism. This is the fruit of transforming grace in the life of a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus. The result of this is long-lasting and ever-increasing joy and peace, confidence and reassurance and deepening love for God. As Jesus knows and abides in the Father's love, so he wishes his disciples to know and abide in his own love for them. So what it says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And as Jesus knows, he pleases the Father. He wishes his disciples to know the joy that comes from knowing that he is also pleased with them. 
Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And Jesus wishes to share such joy with his disciples that they are completely full and free. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this will be enduring and eternal. To conclude, much of the next chapter, John 16, recognises that the disciples are sorrowful and confused, knowing that Jesus is soon leaving them and that things are going to change and that hardships are close at hand. Undoubtedly, some of you may well be in the midst of trials and hardships too. But Jesus promises that their sorrow will turn into joy. There is joy because the true disciple, despite the challenges, becomes an overcomer, living a transformed life that has the guarantee of eternal life because they remain and abide in Jesus even though he is not physically there. Through his spirit, Jesus abides in the Christian and they abide in him, in union. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, abide in Jesus, the authentic source of life. Be a fruitful branch, allowing God the Father to make incisions where he needs to prune back that which is inhibiting growth. Don't let yourself be separated, but rather remain committed. Look to him for enduring strength and allow his peace and joy to come upon you, knowing that he who began good work in you will be faithful to complete it and will welcome you into eternity with all the other true disciples to abide with him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is a mystery that uh, creatures like us who are flawed and marred and in fact uh, fundamentally broken can through your grace not only be healed but enter into such close fellowship with you that we can abide with you and more wonderfully you abide in us. Thank you that you share what you have. You invite us to know your God as our God, your Father as our Father. You invite us to be more than servants but to become your friends and you want us to have your joy and joy to the full. You want us to have your nature, your holiness, your purity, that we might be restored to that place that we were once in the garden 
except this time we are glorified and we walk in the light of God himself. Father, we thank you for this amazing hope that we struggle to comprehend and yet it is the truth, it is your word, it is your promise and it is the hope that we have because of Jesus and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have a final hymn, which is number 647, In Christ Alone.